Hello and welcome back to the Rethink Retail podcast. We are here today live from Shop Talk Europe. And joining me today is Megan Maley. She is the GM for Benelux UK and Ireland at Zalando, which is one of Europe's leading fashion platforms. Megan, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Gabriella. I'm very excited to be here here at Shop Talk. It's great to have you. And how have you been enjoying the show so far? It's been, yeah, it's been amazing. I'm just so overwhelmed. It's very big. Um, so many incredible people to speak with. I've been able to attend quite a few of the keynote speeches, which has been really fascinating. And then this morning I had the opportunity to be interviewed by Ian Jindal. And uh, oh. so we had a really nice chat. And um, since then it's been quite busy. So really enjoying the the opportunity so far. Excellent. Well, it's great to hear. And Ian is one of our top retail influencers. Indeed, indeed. Great. Well, um, so I know that you, before, prior to joining Zalando, you spent 16 years Mm. at Nike, which is pretty darn incredible. So um, (laughs) can you kind of share a little bit about your professional journey with us? Yeah, definitely. So um, I am from Wisconsin originally. I grew up in the U.S. and I've always been really, I've loved retail. I worked in retail as uh, when I was in high school, working mm-hmm. in shops, and then um, went on to really make that the focus, I would say, of my career, but it took on different formats mm-hmm. <laughs> across across the years. Um, I really started, first of all, working in kind of the pharmaceutical area, then in beauty, and then I ended up working for Nike. And Nike was always in Europe, so I worked for six years in France, mm-hmm. um, then in the UK for a few years, then in the Netherlands, and then originally, and then came back um, to the UK again. So it's been quite an interesting journey. Um, I think the red thread of all of it would definitely be just this love of retail, consumer goods, and I think customer centricity, and to really, you know, knowing the customer to serve them, finding, I think before on the brand side, it was much more around creating the right products and, mm-hmm. and services, and now I'm really enjoying being on the sort of digital ecosystem side and finding ways to best serve our customers um, in all of the ways that a platform can and does. So that's kind of how I got to Zalando. I've been there for um, over a year now. That's amazing. Can you kind of Tell us a little bit why you decided to make that transition after 16 years with Nike. Yeah, I mean, I think um, having worked on the brand side, it was always really exciting to, I think we were on a big journey at Nike, building the direct-to-consumer business, mm-hmm. um, whether that was stores as well as uh, the online business. And um, Zalando has always been a, an important partner for Nike, so I really respected it. Mm-hmm. So when I had an opportunity to get even to um, working on a platform ecosystem, I really found this is really a lot about the future of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that their direct to consumer is extremely important for brands, um, but then also platforms are also inter- important because mm-hmm. that's really the path where customers are, where they're going to have a multi-brand experience. And you know, at Zalando, we serve 49 million customers across 25 markets, fashion and beauty. Wow. And so the opportunity to really understand how this all works, um, sort of the intricacies of the, the partners, so the brands and the retailers, as well as the, the customers in the various countries and everything that goes within it, it just seemed like a great experience, time to, to learn and grow, I think, professionally and personally. You mentioned that you kind of manage uh, several different regions. Mm. So can you kind of share, you know, now that you've been with the company for a year, was there kind of a learning curve to managing operations in vastly different regions at the same time? 
Oh, definitely. Um, you know, looking after UK and Ireland and the Benelux, they're very, very different. And even within the Benelux, I think, you know, people often lump these countries together. And yet, you know, we see very different, um, you know, customer behavior, very different trends. Uh, you know, everything is still different between Belgium and the Netherlands itself. Mm -hmm. So I think what's been, yeah, the biggest learning curve is really identifying what are the the biggest game changers for each market um, because I do have five markets you know wow. you want to do everything but you you can't do it all so you really sure. have to focus on what are the things that are really going to move the needle for each of these markets how can we what are the biggest challenges or obstacles for our customers in these markets and then how do we solve for them mm -hmm. and I think that has been the most exciting thing is figuring out what those are and then you know, really working with the team to prioritize those and and get those on the prioritization list for the company and, mm -hmm. and move forward so um, yeah I think that's probably the biggest learning curve and and the biggest um, challenge when you look after so many markets absolutely so can you share some examples that of maybe some of those differences between markets maybe something that surprised you definitely um yeah, I think it, if I maybe take Belgium as a good example, Belgium is, you know, it's a complex country because you have different linguistic regions. Um, and within that as well, you have a lot of various differences in terms of sometimes even things like payment methods or delivery or um, on top of all of the, the translations. Um, and so I think when it comes to, to Belgium as an example, it's really creating a de-average strategy specifically mm -hmm. for the country to focus on, um, you know, our understanding our customers in Wallonia, in Flanders, um, also in, in Brussels, in the capital region, and really understanding how we can have even a completely tailored and personalized um, mm -hmm. value proposition for mm -hmm. them wherever they live within the country. Um, and so that's that's really what the team is focused on. I have a team dedicated to every country. Um, and these teams look after everything from, you know, upper funnel brand marketing through mm -hmm. to the on-site experience, through to um, logistics, mm -hmm. last mile carriers. And so these teams really focus on how we create the most de-averaged experience um, so that we serve our customers in each region the best that we can. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. What are some of the big digital trends that you're seeing I think one thing that, of course, is a is an important digital trend is the fact that, you know, our, our customers are, are really, it's not new, but they're mm -hmm. very impacted and influenced by um, very local influencers. Mm -hmm. So there are global influencers, obviously, that everyone looks to for style inspiration. But I think one thing that we see is really a big rise of, of micro-influencers, sure. very local influencers. And we actually have a create a program called the Style Creator Program, mm -hmm. which is 400 and growing um, sort of micro to, I guess, mid-level influencers that are very, very locally relevant within each country and represent sort of the diversity um, and the fashion choices of mm -hmm. the, those countries. And so we work with them um, to, they basically have an opportunity to shop um, the website with uh, with everything that they would want to buy and create looks um, with Fantastic. the latest collections. And we just see an incredible impact by having really local talent. Mm -hmm. If I look at the Benelux, I think we have 90 um, style creators just from the Benelux. And, um, and you just see that this really, really resonates because this is people looking towards people that they know. They might even know some of these influencers mm -hmm. personally. Um, so I think that that's a, a trend that we see is certainly this localization of influence as well. Absolutely, yeah. We know that um, consumers more so than ever are, you know, less influenced by traditional marketing and really looking to people 
um, that they know or that they admire to get those recommendations. So speaking of consumer trends, we'll switch gears a little bit here, but I know you've spoken in the past about uh, Zalando's commitment to sustainability and, you know, that is becoming such an increasing importance among consumers, especially younger consumers. So can you kind of share how Zalando is uh, incorporating sustainability in your operations? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, sustainability is is on the mind of every single person. I think every one of our 49 million customers across Europe is is thinking about sustainability. And I think we also realize that it's one of, it is to me, I think climate change is the biggest challenge of our time and, and fashion is a contributor to, to climate change. And I think then as, you know, one of the most important platforms for fashion and beauty in Europe, it's our role to play a positive role in this and sure. to have a net positive impact. So, um, I think Zalando back already in 2017 really put a stake in the ground on sustainability with the do more strategy, mm-hmm. um, committed to some, some pretty big numbers in terms of reduction of, of our carbon footprint. And so between 2017, when we first laid out, um, this strategy and now we've reduced our, our overall carbon footprint by 64%. Yeah which is great. Um, That continues. Um, You know, there's no finish line. I would say when we look at, obviously, the way we do that is through different choices when it comes to a less mile delivery, whether Mm -hmm. that's electric vehicles, et cetera. Packaging plays a very big role. But I think where our customers really expect us to, to come with really innovative solutions is especially around actual product like where does it come from right how is it made and then what is the circularity journey mm-hmm. and so I think the way that we kind of play within there is that you know we we have we have a range of sustainable product which is pretty pretty massive I think we have 140,000 sustainable articles on site and that's double versus 2020 mm-hmm. it's great but it's also you know it's what's really important is to help customers to find them because obviously with 5,800 brands and 1.4 million um, articles on the site, you know, we need to make it very easy for our customers to make choices based on their values. So um, one thing that we really focus on is flagging the product in terms of being more sustainable. But then likewise, one thing that we really do is try to create filters so that people can look at their exact value set and shop like that. So if you're vegan, as an example, you can literally filter for vegan or, um, you know, water, um, you know, clean water or workman's rights. And you can really focus on what are the products that match with the values in terms of how they were created. Um, and I think what we see is that our customers want more sustainable product because we've grown our GMV or our gross merchandise value was um, from sustainable products was 16% in 2020. And it's already moving to 2020, 22%. So... The clear way forward is that our customers want more sustainable product. We need to provide more of them, but then we need to also continue to make it extremely easy for our customers to find them. So I think that's one way. And then obviously, you know, circularity is just so important for our customers and, you know, they want to extend the life of the products they have and then also give a new life to products that, you know, they see. And one kind of insight we see is our customers don't want to have to say, I'm going shopping in a completely different place for, um, you know, secondhand versus new product. Today, it would like be you go to, you know, either a store or you go to a charity shop and you buy secondhand or, you know, there are a lot of online platforms offering secondhand, but it's in a very different area than new fashion. I think our unique kind of take on it is that customers can buy new fashion as well as pre-owned fashion in one location. Mm -hmm. 
um, as well as that they can trade in very easily. They're the product they no longer wear. And then that can be redeemed against, um, basically you can then, the money made from it, you can either give it to charity through Zalando or you can use it to buy either new or secondhand product on Zalando. So it's a very seamless experience. I personally like it. I, I you know, I'm a mom of what well, we talked about it, <laughs> four-year-old. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't really have time to be online kind of bargaining with people or saying, let's pick it up here or there. I just put it in a box, send it. And um, it's a very kind of uh, frictionless experience, I would say. All right, Megan, well, we're kind of, unfortunately, we're <laughs> closing on time here. So um, I would like to ask you just one last question about okay. brick and mortar. Um, as it's shifting, as more of us shop online, do you think that all brands kind of have a responsibility to really be thinking about ramping up their e-commerce operations? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, what's What's very clear now as we come into this sort of post-pandemic world is that, you know, customers are going online. This becomes a very normal way for customers to shop. But I think what we also see is people, they love to shop in physical retail and they don't feel like they need to choose. So that should be a very kind of seamless experience. And um, I think what kind of the point of view of Zalando and, and what we kind of do in this space is our role is to also help physical retailers to, uh, well, to to basically be able to benefit from our, our platform. Um, and one way that we've been doing that is by our program called Connected Retail, which was launched in 2019. And this is basically a program that allows even the smallest physical store to connect their inventory to Zalando oh, and benefit amazing. from, you know, the traffic of millions of customers, mm -hmm. um, be able to get their product in the path of customers. And there were some that, you know, during the pandemic, there were some stores where, you know, this was their only revenue stream in that time. And so now as we come into sort of the world where stores are open, online exists, um, we see that both benefit from that relationship. So some of the stores that were are part of Connected Retail have said that, you know, they've increased their sales up to 60% wow. by also having the revenue stream of Connected Retail as alongside their physical shop. And I think, you know, we are huge believers in physical shops. We want to support them and be part of this overall fashion ecosystem and mm -hmm. really connect the fashion industry so we can all continue to grow. Wow, that's amazing. I really appreciate your time and hearing more about Zalando. Um, you know, you guys are huge here in Europe. Yes. But I think, uh, you know, in the States, we're all just kind of uh, hearing about you now. So um, really great to learn from you today. And thank you so much for joining the show. Yes, thank you so much, Gabriella. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at Rethink underscore Retail and show us some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.